Hey everyone, you're listening to the Tab Geeks podcast. My name is Jesse Nolan. I'm your host and the co-founder of Tab Geeks. This week's guest is Marcus Stewart, the Senior Director of Network Infrastructure at Achievement First. Marcus, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me, Jesse. It's my pleasure. And uh, as everyone knows, the first thing I like to do is to take a few minutes just to explore everyone's journey uh, into tech before we get into this week's topic. And uh, since nobody has the same story, and then we'll get into talking about building an innovative team in the educational space. So why don't you take us through, back to the beginning? How did you get into technology? Uh, well, for me, my tech journey really started with a... Uh, those uh, for dummy books, like computer for dummies and all that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> they actually work. Uh, I was um, I was at home uh, for the summer and was kind of bored. Uh, this is during the 90s, uh, mid 90s. Uh, so computers were around, but, you know, they weren't prevalent. And I just kind of was like, bored one summer and was just like reading the book. And as I was going through the book, uh, actually had like a Windows, probably at that point, might have been Windows 95 uh, computer that I could mess around with. And uh, just reading the book and actually doing, putting those things into practices and learning about DOS and BIOS. And it's probably a few times that I messed up the computer and uh, was in a panic and now working with big network infrastructures and which is like, Oh, okay. Back then that wasn't so scary. <laughs> Hindsight being 2020. Um, and that was really the start of the journey of being, of being interested in tech. And since then, like I've worked in the IT department of my college, which is the university of Tennessee. And I went overseas for two years in the Peace Corps, uh, for yeah, two years in the Peace Corps. And now I've been at Achievement First for uh, over 11 years, uh, working my way up from an IT associate, which is a person who works on the ground doing brick fixes, to being responsible for 36 sites across three geographic regions, serving over 15,000 students and over 2,700 staff members across those geographies. Wow, that's uh, fantastic. Where did you go in the Peace Corps? Uh, I went into the Peace Corps in between 2005 and 2007 in uh, an island called Western Samoa. Uh, I usually just say like, uh, typically Americans know American Samoa because we get a lot of football players from that particular island. Uh, and Western Samoa is an independent country and it's located about 24, 25 miles uh, east uh west of uh american samoa mm -hmm. yeah so there i worked as uh, i worked for the equivalent of a high school there and that was where i was wearing multiple hats that i kind of still wear to this day of i was a teacher for computer classes there I was the repair person for the computers and I was the director of uh, the computer classes. So I like created the curriculum and all that kind of stuff. And when I got there, we had basically like one and a half computer labs, roughly about 20 something computers. And by the time I left two years later, we had four functional computer labs, about 60 to 70 functional computers and every student in the school was able to take a computer class over the course of the two years and then uh, beyond. That's incredible. Thank you so much for your service. <laughs> Thank you. Now, did you go to school for tech? Uh, actually, I did not. I uh, yeah, actually did not. I went to my undergrad is in operations, business operations management. Um, so learning how businesses work and kind of the just in time principle and kind of being forward thinking in that regard. And then I have a master's uh, in information science, which is basically um, how to get people to understand how to use the information that they find and disseminate that information in such a way that it's easy for people to digest. And in a way I do use those skill sets on a pretty much a daily basis. I'm a very operational type mindset when it comes to like how technology works within my organization. I'm very focused on like, how do I operational, how do I operationalize it? How do I scale it? Um, and then when I'm talking to folks who aren't as tech savvy as I am, or the people that I work with are, 
Um, I'm, it's just like, what I, how do I distill this down to the thing that you care the most about? And how do I give you that information in a succinct manner so that you are able to walk away and understand what I'm talking about, even if I don't use the technology jargon? That's a really interesting path into IT. So with with both a degree and a master's not in tech, why'd you choose tech? Because it's always something that interests me. This is one of those things that really started off as a hobby and then just kind of developed into a career. And uh, it's just one of those things where it's always interesting. It's always evolving. Um, there's different challenges all the time. Uh, it. Uh, pushes me to it has pushed me to grow in areas of communication in terms of troubleshooting in terms of just really exciting stuff and just in general just in my personal life technology excites me um, and that's the one of the reasons that's one of the main reasons that I stay in tech is like uh, with <laughs> the amount of growth that has happened in a technology field in the last just 20 years um, it's just been amazing as always like it's not something that I easily get bored with. And that's something that is just very important to me personally. I love being in tech for the same reasons. It's always interesting. There's always something. And and oftentimes it's it's frustrating. It's all hell. It drives me crazy. But at the end of the day, I love the challenge. I love the almost the uniqueness of it, you know, because there's always a different spin on something, on some kind of a problem, even if you've seen something like it before. And things that you've tried in the past, as frustrating as it may be, will possibly not work again. But oftentimes you'll be able to take um, inspiration and ideas from other things in life and you'll just be like, oh, wait a minute. I got it. I figured it out. Yes. Yeah. I've, I found many times that uh, using things like analogies and things like that to really communicate technology to folks has been very helpful to me. Um, and then that just just allows me to continue to grow and develop and understand like, oh, okay. So this is like this. It's really like connecting the dots, so to speak. And it's a lot of connecting the dots when you're in technology because <laughs> sometimes the dots are visible and sometimes they're not. <laughs> For sure. Have you, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but have you heard of uh, SidewaysDictionary.com? I have not. So Sideways Dictionary presents awesome um, analogies that help people understand technology better. So like for two-factor authentication, it tells the story of um, of the glass slipper and uh, how, you know, he knew it was hers, but he couldn't verify it was hers until it fit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, that's an analogy people can all really kind of understand pretty easily. And, uh, and, and that's a site, I, I think it's a, a Google experiment. One of their, one of their X labs or something like that came up with it. Um, but I yeah. I love it. It's a great way to start coming up with new ideas to teach things to, to people about technology that they wouldn't have necessarily understood before. Yeah, especially something with two-factor authentication. Uh, that's we are. I'm starting to roll it out into my organization and figuring out the uh, analogies or figuring out the reasons, the ways to convey to people that it is important, but it's also annoying. So how do you convey that in such a way? So using that type of analogy of like, okay, I get it of a glass slipper and I can confirm it and it's a cute story like that will both endear people to okay I understand why and also say like okay that's a cute story thank you for the effort of trying to make it understandable <laughs> for me it might resonate a little bit better with saying well it's more annoying if you get hacked <laughs> that's very true that's very true and with the amount of data breaches that happen what it feels like almost on a monthly basis or even bi-weekly basis at this point, it's not uh, too much of a hill, but you still, as an IT person, you still want to make the effort to convey it in a manner that makes people feel a lot more comfortable. So in terms of building an innovative team, the educational space, you've got this, you said it was a degree in, um, in business and then also mm -hmm. in, um, in information uh, remind me. Sciences. Information science. Information science. Okay, so how does that help you in what you're currently doing in technology? A lot of it comes down to in educational space. You're dealing with uh, a lot of people who come from various backgrounds. Some are uh, tech literate just because of the culture and society that we've grown up in. And some are not. Even uh, people who can be in their 20s or in their 30s who've grown up with, you know, the iPhone and 
uh, Android devices and all that kind of stuff, uh, there's a, there can still be a level of discomfort that comes with working with the technology on a daily basis, especially with the speed at which it changes and grows. Um, so using my background in information science, uh, it's been a way to like understand like where, why are people concerned about certain things? Why, uh, or what is the difficult challenge that comes with, uh, you don't understand two-factor authentication, or if I tell you something about it's in the cloud, like what does that actually mean? Uh, how do I convey it to you? How do I convey it to someone in education whose focus is really on, you know, making sure that kids get the proper ed- education uh, in the skill sets that they need to go to college and to graduate uh, high school and that kind of stuff without really bogging them down in the details that they don't really care about. So uh, it really, I really use it to distill it down to the way in which I can get people to understand it. And then the operational side is like, as we, we are a high performing, fast growing charter organization. So um, we kind of have gone, we went through the startup phase of a couple of schools. We went through like the uh, mid phase of like, Having not a, not a small amount of schools, but not a large amount of schools. So now where we have a large amount of schools over three regions and how do you, uh, put the technology in place that you might not have thought of when you were a small, when we were a small, you know, couple of schools in one or two cities to now we're working in three geographies. What do we need to do? What do we need to change in our mindset and the processes and the systems that we're using that would allow us to scale and handle up to, in our particular case, where we want to get to 50 schools uh, within the next uh, five to 10 years. And how do we support that when the IT team itself is not going to be growing at the same rate as our physical sites and our obviously our staff population? I love it. I imagine you utilize a lot of the just-in-time uh, production or or supply, um, and kind of similar to a little bit of the lean startup method that um, there have been a number of books about lean startup, lean business, lean enterprise, etc. Um, to make to make that happen, and I, I've struggled with that myself. Honestly, uh, my company tripled in size in two or three years or so, and uh, we did not add on very many team members. I think we added one IT guy, and getting to the point where it's like, okay, you know, yeah, I see the average at a lot of these other companies is approximately one technician for every hundred employees, but that only really works well if they're all in one office. I'm now supporting 50 remote networks. Every single one of them is a challenge. Every single one of them is different and has different quirks and, you know, they don't all necessarily have the same printer, so you can't run out the same fix for, you know, for all of them or get the same documentation for all of them. They all have different computers because they can't from different purchases. So I, I definitely feel your pain there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, standardization is the dream, but standardization is hard and expensive and expensive. Yes. And expensive. <laughs> so yeah, when you get to our size, you have economies of scale in which things that you couldn't do when you were one or two schools, you can do now that you are, we're 36 schools growing to 50. Um, that kind of changes the equation, changes some of the game in terms of what you can actually push forward on and accomplish in your day-to-day life. Now, how many students is that? Uh, 36 schools. We are roughly between 13,000 and 14,000 students, I believe, student population. And I assume that they're all using computers natively in their classrooms. They all have accounts through the school, et cetera. Uh, yes. So they all use computers to some degree. Um, but the, uh, the amount of their interaction depends on their grade level. So we have light integration when it comes to our elementary school, we have, you know, it gets, it ramps up a little bit more when they get to middle school and the scholar, the students are on their computers pretty much every single day when they're at high school. Um, Mm -hmm. and in our particular environment, we use Chromebooks, which are pretty prevalent, um, in the educational community just cause, uh, Google and Google makes it very easy for staff to use it and very easy or semi easy for IT staff to support it as well. 
That was going to be my next question, how you felt about uh, about Chromebooks in the educational space. My niece and nephew are going into eighth grade and their school just sent out a thing that said, all right, well, you need to buy, you know, all your kids need to get uh, Chromebooks. And I did a ton of research because, you know, I, I'm close with these kids and uh, their parents said, all right, under five hundred dollars, find us a laptop that's going to last them through high school. And so I, I did a whole bunch of research, bought a whole bunch of them from Amazon, returned a bunch when I had a Lenovo with a terrible screen. I said, on the Asus <laughs> Chromebook, uh, the Flip. Uh, I think it's the. It's basically bulletproof. This thing can withstand sixty pounds of pressure on the closed lid. It's got a Gorilla Glass screen. It's got you know waterproof, dustproof to mil- military specs. You know it doesn't have the greatest processor in the world, but I. It's really hard to break this thing. I think that's great. I love these things. Right. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had one of yeah. those when I was in school. Yeah, I think back uh, in the. The interesting thing about, and I talk about technology changing so much. Uh, so when I started with Achievement First, the students were working on pretty much the desktops, uh, big, bulky desktop computers. And then we, you know, we were just like, that's not really changing with the times. And then I don't know if you remember the netbook phase of computing. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we thought, oh, that's the next, that's the next big thing. And it turned out to not even last like two years, I believe. Like I it think they fizzled. were. Yeah, it fizzled dramatically fast. <laughs> and then uh and then we settled on Chromebooks and we have been using them for at least uh, like seven, six or seven years at this point. Uh, so we've run through a wide gamut of brands like HP and Lenovo. Uh, and you are, you are correct in that there's a wide range of uh, quality out there in terms of Chromebook. <laughs> so the fact that you found one that is pretty much bulletproof and can la- and can theoretically last uh, throughout their high school years, that's great. Uh, but I just say never underestimate uh, students when it comes to them and technology. <laughs> yeah, I was asking them how they liked it and I was telling them how it's it's rugged. And I could almost see the, you know, challenge accepted light bulb going off in their head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, there's been many times people are like, well, no, the student wouldn't do that. And I'm just like, don't. Don't no, I've don't underestimate them. They if you say they can't do it, it's like water going through rocks. It will find a way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So let's go back to our topic here. You know, what are you looking for when you're building out a team? As you as your your um as your group of schools grows and as your as the company expands, uh, when you go to hire somebody new, what are you looking for in terms of soft skills and hard skills? And you know, looking forward, what should they continue doing? to improve themselves? So I think the main thing that is very important uh, for anyone working in IT and educational space is the fact that you have to be mission aligned. Like more than uh, more than any business, like if you don't believe deep down in terms of like what the uh, educational space is doing, then you're not really going to be able to uh, withstand the challenges that come with this space. Um, so like I said, you're dealing with people who are not as tech savvy. You're dealing with students who, uh, have the twinkle in their eye of challenge accepted. Uh, you're dealing with, you're dealing with admin staff who want things a certain way, which may not necessarily be the best way to do something. And you're also dealing with, um, sometimes you're dealing with a lack of funds. Uh, either from the state or from the larger organization, not really wanting to invest mm-hmm. in technology. Uh, so if you don't have that internal drive, it's just like, you know, this really means a lot to me, just making sure that these kids um, are successful in their life, then you're not really going to last. So that's something that uh, is very important to me. Uh, when I hire somebody, like I have to feel and sense and look into your eyes and see that <laughs> you want to be in this space. Uh, also, because, you know, we can't in education, we can't compete really on price. Like uh, we're not, no one's going to be, you know, the next billionaire working in the educational space. Um, so if you're, if you feel like you're here for the money or you're only here for a short amount of time, it's not really worth the investment on either part to really go through with it because 
it'll take you, uh, in our particular instance, it, we don't feel that an IT person coming in is really settled in their role until like year two or year three. Oh, primarily wow. because, exactly. Um, primarily because in education, you actually have two different, I call them seasons, mm-hmm. um, but you have two different seasons. Um, during the regular season is the school year you know, August till June or July or May. And that's when you're dealing with break fixes and uh, you're dealing with kind of the typical stuff that you might see in an IT office environment and or in a business environment. Uh, so the traditional kind of IT realm of doing things. And then uh, there's the summer season, which typically lasts between 12 to 10 weeks, depending on how long the summer is for a particular school district. In our case, it's 10 weeks. And that is hyper-focused, hyper, you know, hyper-intensive time of doing things because that's used, that's the time and period in which you create a school, you expand a school, or you upgrade the technology within an existing school. Uh, and you have, ten, you have 10 weeks or you have some amount of time to do that before because your deadline is always when the students come back. So, um, to really settle into that, I just tell people like, look, you're the first summer, you're not, everything's going to be happening. You're not going to know what the heck is going to go on. There's no way I can really prepare you for that because every summer is different. All challenges are unique to us. And once you do, once you get that under your belt, then the next summer, (laughs) year two is when you're like, okay. Uh, okay, I now see what you're talking about. I now understand like regular season is this, summer is this, and summer requires a very different, not a different, entirely different skill set, but it it involves more projects. It involves more, you need to be more on point with your time and management and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's kind of the way that I kind of, that's the most important thing to me when I'm hiring somebody for EdTech. So when do you all go on vacation before the mad rush of the summer at the end of the year there or sometime like Christmas break or something like that? Uh, so it's usually after uh, the usually people take the vacation time after the summer because you have run the marathon of, you know, dealing with vendors, getting equipment in place, setting up thousands or setting up hundreds of Chromebooks or repairing thousands of Chromebooks. Uh, <laughs> you've done all of that in a very, very compressed amount of time in which as you get closer to the end, the stakes get higher. So like Chromebooks need to be returned back so that you can have them in class for the first day of school or the first week of school. And, you know, internet needs to be in place so that teachers can start preparing their curriculum and all that kind of stuff. Like the stakes get higher closer to the end. So that's when the stress gets higher. And that's when you're like, I need to decompress. I need to take a vacation, which is, we always think it's funny when people come back and say like, Hey, Marcus or IT person, like, how was your vacation? And we're like, we didn't really take one because we have we have to get things done. So we'll take it when you come back and we'll and we can take like, you know, a week off or a couple of days off here and there just to like recharge the batteries and get our mindset in the right place to transition to the summer. I mean, transition to the beginning of school year. Well, it's quite a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a mad rush. And, uh, actually the interesting thing is like, I was, I attended a, uh, better cloud, which is a company that we use. They have a conference called altitude. Um, I attended it last year and did a presentation in which I kind of did an overview of the, I call it the 10 week dash in which I kind of uh, did an overview of like what happens in that 10 weeks in a little bit more detail. And it was uh, when people uh, came away from the conversation, they were just like, Whoa, that's a, that's a lot. (laughs) It was like, yeah. And we do it every summer. Kind of helps you appreciate your school's IT guys and gals a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, it does. I was actually uh, started a, 
this shows you how much of a nerd I am. I started a club in high school that was designed to help the school IT guy because he was the only one doing it for 300 or 400 students. Mm. And he was so overwhelmed. I was like, all right, well, you know, we know how to fix the basics. So we'll form a club and we'll, we'll train with you and we'll, we'll be cool because we'll have access to all the computer stuff. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and we can help. And we actually made up stickers. I try to remember the name of it. It was, it was, Something along the lines of like, you know, IT lab heroes or not heroes, it was security force or something like that. It was something super, you know, we thought it was super cool. But looking back, it's like, wow, that was lame. Um, <laughs> but it also meant that I had uh, pretty much unfettered access to whatever I wanted tech wise in the school, which as a as a tech guy, even as a kid, you know, that was awesome for me. And uh, my senior year, I actually had him lock me out of the firewall and I said, all right, my turn. And I spent two weeks trying to hack my way in researching at night and implementing during the day and trying all kinds of tricks and i finally found one i identified a hole that he was able to close i was like hey i'm a pen tester hey. now <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you had that uh you had that twinkle in your eye and you said challenge accepted good job oh yeah he he knew it when he saw me <laughs> I also started a video club, a rocket club. I was I was ambitious and entrepreneurial, but I was also a super nerd, super geek back then. So and I still am today and I'm proud of it. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is definitely something the world uh, the world needs. The, as much as technology evolves, the world still needs kids like you were who are who are uh, curious and willing to accept that challenge and not just be consumers of technology, but also like, hey, let me poke around with this because that's that's how we all have learned technology in some capacity is just poking around and being like hmm, i wonder how this works or i wonder if i can get past this thing or i can do this absolutely and feel free to steal my idea for a uh, student-led tech squad <laughs> <laughs> well do all right. So let's go into the, the more practical side of things. What are some of the best practices you'd recommend uh, for network infrastructure, for security, you know, for keeping everyone safe across the across the board? I imagine you're using some kind of uh, cloud controlled system to be able to scale up at that at that level. You know, what's going on there? Yeah. So I think like the first thing that has really helped us uh, kind of focus our security measures is an identity, uh, an identity provider. and that can be Azure, it can be Google SSO. In our case, we use Okta. Um, but I believe that putting it, giving it to a third party, especially in the educational space, is just a better way of doing it. Uh, before, we were just using kind of Active Directory and LDAP for identity uh, for a lot of stuff, but that required on-premise technology. And as I just said, um, we don't have we don't have a large team. So if something were to go wrong, it would actually take a lot of our energy in order to kind of resolve certain pieces of identity. And also, it it wasn't scalable. Um, it's not. I'm not able to work with you know Cisco for something and Google for something or. Uh, Atlassian for something, um, just because I'm a small person with a small team. But if you work with a third party identity provider, they can easily go out and get that integration. And it allows you to scale up your identity security dramatically. Um, so for example, uh, we started using Okta about five, six years ago. Yeah. No, no, not five, six, about roughly four years ago. We started using about four years ago. And we started with about three platforms, WebEx, Google, and um, I think Office 365. Those were the three. And just getting those three platforms secure was the way we wanted to go. And now in our Okta environment, we have over 100 pieces of applications that rely on our Okta instance for identity. And the reason that we have it that that many is because it is so it is much easier to implement uh, identity when it comes to using a third party provider who already has those relationships in place. So I can, you know, if somebody comes to me and says like, Hey, we're bringing a new platform into the organization, I can look at it, see if it meets some certain criteria and get it identity provisioning uh, within about, you know, an hour or so. 
And then we go through some testing and I can have it done in a couple of days, just making sure like it's operating the way that it should be operating. And then I can set in and forget it. Like I don't have to remember, Oh, you have to have some, once we set the logic in place, uh, I don't have to remember to go back and change things here and there. And that has dramatically increased our security in terms of provisioning and deprovisioning because once you have logic in place, you know, account is created. If it meets criteria, once it doesn't meet that criteria anymore, account is taken away and it's not reliant upon person X or person Y to go in and, Oh, I need to deactivate the person from this application and this application and this application. Uh, so when you have kind of a people IT team, that's kind of a jack of all trades, and you're working with different different scenarios, anytime that you can automate some version, some area of the security infrastructure is just a giant win in terms of improving your overall security. And are you using a, a cloud controlled system for your network management, such as Meraki or Ruckus or any of the others that are out there? Uh, so not cloud control because we're primarily a Cisco, a Cisco organization, but we do use uh, a network monitoring solution uh, called What's Up Gold that monitors our networks and then gives us proactive alerts that if there's network disruption or if something is performing, uh, if uh, something is performing in an odd nature. And that allows us to be able to more proactively monitor our network so that we are ahead of you know, we, the last thing we want is for someone to come to us and tell us there's a problem. We would much rather identify it ourselves, get ahead of it. And if we can't deal with it in a timely fashion, at least say, hey, we already know about it. We know that this is happening or whatever. So that's kind of the, um, that's the kind of the monitoring solution that we're using. And in some instances, we are moving to the cloud for some of our management stuff. So in some of our schools, we are using security cameras and some of our in all of our schools, we use printers. We're using a cloud based print server and uh, we are starting to make the move from being all on premise to being more cloud uh, cloud based in some of our infrastructure so that um it's not just reliant upon the, you know, the couple of people on my team who are able to keep the lights on and stuff like that. Like, uh, these are companies, these cloud companies are engineered or built to be up 24 seven and to add new features on a regular basis. And we just want to use that to our advantage to kind of supplement our, um, the scaling issues that we have just as a team, as a human as human team. Yeah. And I think that applies also to the, to the um, enterprise space and non-educational space, even to government as well. Uh, obviously security is a huge factor there, but if you've got the capability to not just scale, but to even quickly deploy and not have to worry about it, you can automate a lot of that and you can uh, free mm. up your team to do other things. So if you're working with a, with a smaller team, it's definitely something to consider. Yeah. It's going to cost you a little bit more money, but it's potentially saving you from hiring an entirely another person. Yeah. And that's kind of the, uh, and that's kind of the main thing that I always tell people, especially in the educational space. Um, when I did a, uh, session on securing the educational cloud last year at South by Southwest education. I told people like, look, a lot of the cloud-based tools, they are expensive. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cover anything. Like it, they are expensive, but it's an, you should look at it as an investment. You're not only investing in the security of your organization, you're investing in not having to hire another person who comes with benefits and all this other stuff. So uh, if it's a very, if it's a hard sell for you to say like, I want to hire one person to do this job, but it's an easier to sell to say like, I can let me buy the system that will, you know, do X, Y, or Z for me. And then as people see the benefit of it, and this is where like my background in information sciences comes in and helping people understand technology is I bring in a piece of technology that I think is going to be transformative for the organization. And I usually just give it like a one or two sentence, like, Hey, this is what it's going to do. And this is what it will, this is the ultimate thing, the way I see it going just to get it in the door. And then I allow the system, if I believe in it to prove its worth. And over time, 
it will uh, it will have result in people coming to you being like, oh, hey, the system that you brought in, it was very great. And I love the way that it implemented and it made my life so much easier. Now I can bring in another system that can do, you know, take the ball a little bit further down the field. And because I've already proven that I brought in one system that is transformative and can really help push the ball down the field. Um, people will then say like, okay, I trust your judgment. Let's do this. And then just slowly scaffolding up the infrastructure, especially if you're a small team, it uh, allows you to like show the worth as in real time, instead of trying to say like, Hey, it's going to do this great thing all at once. And people are like, eh, not really so sure about that. <laughs> I've, I've been through that. I've also found it uh, very useful, especially as you start thinking about individuals um, in terms of managing a lot with a smaller team is to look at the pricing on a per unit base. So if it, whether it's per computer or per student, I was just looking at building out a system to do a kind of active directory in the cloud. And, you know, it was much more expensive to go with just a regular cloud provider. But if I were to to put it together with um with Azure Active Directory in the cloud, then it comes down to like 40 cents a computer per year. Right. And when you look at it like that, that's an easy sell also to take to your boss and say, look, at 40 cents a computer, I can do all of these things. He's like, wow, that's nothing. And then it's much easier to get something approved that way. Right. Yep. 100%. Yeah. And, uh, I think going back to like the other thing that it takes, uh, what do you look for in terms of building a team, uh, in the educational space? I think you are looking when I hiring somebody, I'm not, I'm, I guess I'm looking for someone who's mission focused, but at the same time, I'm also looking for someone who is very versatile in their IT skills. Uh, you deal with a lot of different technologies when it comes to education, whether it's elementary or middle school or high school, even college, there's a ton of technology out there. Um, and people want to bring certain pieces of technology into your organization as well. So someone who is able to be flexible and, you know, at one point figure out what's wrong with a printer and the next point they're figuring out what's going on with uh, the BIOS or corrupted file within a windows operating system or, why a tablet won't connect to the Wi-Fi. Uh, someone who is able to work in all those various areas is very important um, because, like I said, we're, we, are, we do not have the luxury of hiring a bunch of specialists for in our environment. So you kind of have to be a jack-of-all-trade in order to be truly successful. And, but that also means that you have a lot of different areas that you can grow in. Um, so because you, you can grow in the cloud or you can grow with on premise or you can grow with the break fix if that's what you want to stick with, or you can grow with phones and stuff like that. There's a lot of different areas that you can get your hands on in the educational space that you might not necessarily get to in the business space because people tend to be very specialized into engineering or DevOps or, you know, break fix for it or Q and a or something like that. Hey, that's how I operate. Uh, I'm the same way. And I've managed to uh, revitalize a department that years ago, only, only three or four years ago was using by today's standards, archaic hardware. They were still on uh, Pentium four processors in most of their machines and running windows 2003 on a, uh, windows, uh, exchange 2003 rather as their mail server. So, you know, you take, you take kind of that passion for all things tech and you just go, all right, well, you know, what else can we fix? <laughs> and you get all mm-hmm. excited and into it and then realize you got to find a way to pay for it all. And then that's a whole different skill set that you got to now develop <laughs> negotiating with both vendors and with your boss. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's just, it's, that's definitely a skill set that, uh, you kind of look for not, I don't expect somebody who comes into the organization, depending on their level to be able to be a good negotiator, uh, with vendors or internal folks. But uh, there is something to be said for the demeanor of the person. Because uh, I think we all know like the stereotype of the IT person who's kind of like very introverted and very standoffish <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
and grumpy lives with his mother exactly grumpy lives with his mother unshaven or whatever like that's a that's a stereotype of the it person yeah uh, but what we what we look for in our when we are hiring somebody is someone who you don't have to be the most outgoing person but you have to be able to show a level of empathy you have to be able to say like oh the solution may be turn it on and off in a way that doesn't make the person feel stupid <laughs> that they didn't consider turning it on and off. And um, that's just, that's a skill set that some people naturally have and some people naturally don't. Um, but we look for, especially for our younger, uh, our more junior level folks, we look for, okay, do you have the capacity to get there? Do you have the capacity to have a level of empathy for the person uh, especially when it comes with when it when it comes to teachers, because remember they're dealing with twenty fifteen to twenty of other people's kids <laughs> while also dealing with technology. They've got the hardest job of all. Right, they've got the hardest job of it all of them all. So having a level of empathy, understanding, like, look, they are they may be frustrated. They may not have tried everything, not because they are quote unquote stupid or lazy or any other negative uh, connotation you want to put on it. But just because, you know, if you're a parent or if you're like, you're an uncle, like just imagine dealing with 20 of your nieces, nephews, children, (laughs) and then also dealing with your technology that you're just like, I just need this thing to work. (laughs) Yeah. I think that metaphor works for uh, many things in, in business as well is that oftentimes customers will act like many children. <laughs> yes. So at least, but at least with us, we're like, okay, these are actual children. Like, <laughs> uh, do you have any metrics that you use with your team uh, as far as evaluations and uh, deciding when you have uh, a much higher workload and need to hire somebody new? How do you figure all that out? Uh, so we use uh, cloud based ticketing systems, Zendesk. Um, and within the last couple of years, we've really taking advantage of the metrics that are generated by that to kind of better inform the things around like uh, who has too much of a workload, how do we balance it? And if we are unable to balance it, do we need to hire a person? Um, So we've used Zendesk in combination with the data analysis tool called Tableau to really like this, really grab the information and distill it down to numbers and metrics that can really tell a story about like, yes, we have, you know, six IT people, they each have a workload of like six sites. And, you know, that generates X amount of tickets. And if somebody who has six sites generates twice that amount, then maybe we should hire somebody else to kind of take that load off. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've used that over the uh, last year or so to really take it to our bosses and say like, you know, the CEOs of the company and they're like, well, why do we need to hire another IT person? And we just literally can point to the metric and say, this is, <laughs> this is the reason why. And it's not a matter of like, they're not working hard or something like that. It's like you're dealing with schools and things break and some, you know, things happen that needs a physical person, no matter how much you want to scale or virtualize or whatever they're, are some situations where you just need a person. Um, but we've learned over the years to like go with the numbers and to tell that story, that particular story. That's really interesting. Is that tickets closed per person or is that not a valid metric because some things take longer than others? How do you quantify that? So it's a, com- it's, it's, it's a more holistic view. I think back in the, uh, you know, a few years ago, it might've been just tickets closed, but, um, Nowadays, especially when we're using our uh, Tableau to like get to better understand and mess around with the matrix, with the metrics, um, you're able to say not only tickets closed, but tickets pending. And it may be pending because it's waiting for a part. It's waiting for people to get back to you or it's waiting for the IT person to go to the site. And then um, just in generate, just in tickets generated, like maybe you know, you, you have, you know, you're, the person's closing a hundred tickets, but 150 tickets keep coming in. And if 150 tickets keep coming in, then maybe that just says like, you know, the, 
the schools or the schools are just generating a lot and no amount of person working hard is going to solve that thing. So we can, and that we can look into the data and say like, okay, of those 150 tickets, how many are actual like physical, you need a person, not even physical, just you need a person to remote in or physically go to the site to fix the problem. And if the, and once you do that calculus at the end of the day, we just say, okay, you know, we worked hard as best we could. We, you know, we pushed the rock uphill, but in order to really push it even further, we need to have another person. Um, and, but uh, we have been forced to be more diligent about like, okay, how do we tell that we need to push the person, we need another person to push them rock up the hill um, due to the fact that we have gotten pushback of saying like, Oh, you know, you can, you can do it. You can, you can, you can do it with the amount of people you have. And it's, we just provide numbers that were a combination of all those things and saying like, no, we just can't. Like it is physically impossible, especially when you're dealing with, uh, cause we have schools in New York, Connecticut and Rhode Island, and all of our schools in New York are in Brooklyn. So that sounds, if you've never been to New York, it sounds like, Oh, that's just one city. But Brooklyn is very big. Brooklyn's enormous. <laughs> exactly. So if you physically have to go, from site, you know, in North Brooklyn to a site in, in the West part of Brooklyn or the lower South side of Brooklyn, then, you know, in, uh, Idaho, I could tell you like, Oh, that's five miles away. You're like, Oh, that's, that's not far at all. But in Brooklyn, that five miles, which might take you 10 minutes to do in Idaho or wherever it could take 45 minutes to an hour. <laughs> right. For New sure. York. <laughs> so it's like when you calculate all that stuff together, you are telling a story. We are telling a story that's just like, look, we have just reached the capacity of growth of locations and tickets that we need another person. Um, and then, you know, we say we, we, we let the bosses decide from there which way they want to go. Now, I've heard one piece of pushback from somebody that said, well, you know, my boss just said, so things will get fixed slower. How would you answer that? Uh, things will get fixed slower, but it really depends on your constituency. Uh, so remember, our constituency are ultimately our teachers. And the, the leaders of the teachers are the principals. And the principals don't want things to be fixed slower. They want things to be fixed a little bit faster. Um, so I would say, like, if you want to sell it to the ultimate constituency in which you work for, then I will take, we will take that cover and run with it. Like, and we, but we will always do our best to ensure that things don't run slower. But at some point there's going to be a tipping point. And if you are, if, if the bosses of the mindset, things will just get fixed slower then okay. But I, in my in my experience, it's been people were just like, oh, it will get fixed slower. And then enough people complain to them that <laughs> things they're like, OK, maybe things being fixed slower isn't the right answer. I have not had a lot of success when it comes to us saying like, you know, that's not the right thing. It usually takes some third party to come into the situation who the the boss or whoever ultimately serves that says like, this is unacceptable. That really kind of like, okay, we, that, you know, that sarcastic remark that we, we put in place just isn't working because either the CEO is unhappy or the principal is unhappy or somebody else is unhappy. Who's higher, who's high up enough that they kind of like put the, they tip the scale a little bit. Now, what about further education for your team? You mentioned speaking at conferences. Do you send your team to conferences as well? Uh, so we are starting to get into the habit of that. Um, this is, and this is, this is in terms of like building a team and I've uh, kind of rebuilt my team. And one of the things that I'm very interested about is sending my team to conferences. Cause I feel that conferences are a great opportunity for us to operate outside of the bubble that we self create. Um, especially when it comes to education, um, you know, where there's, there's always, there's all these assumptions that, you know, we're behind the times or we can't push anything forward or anything like that. And 
it's just a good opportunity to just see what is happening in the world of technology or education or whatever, and just bring those best practices back to us. So uh, I'm starting to encourage that. But at the same time, we also are investing in like online um, online learning platforms. In our particular case, we subscribe to Pluralsight, which uh, we use to kind of supplement uh, the learning of our IT people. So if you want to learn something about Windows Server or uh, we're starting to do more cloud-based stuff, so AWS or Azure, um, those are platforms that you can go onto and really uh, develop your skill set and feel like you're kind of refining them in without having to actually go to a class or something like that. So you're sending your whole team to uh, Tag East 20 at the end of April, right? Uh, you're in, that's, that's in California. So we're in New York. So <laughs> we, we, uh, we will, we will definitely put it under consideration. I'll put you on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any last, uh, before I wrap up any last recommendations for best practices for network infrastructure, security, building out a good team in the educational space? Um, uh, I think more than anything, uh, security, uh, security is just a huge thing that we kind of underestimate in education. Because uh, I think I read, I did some research for, uh, like I said, a presentation I did a while ago. And education is up there, like with hospitals, as one of the areas that people try to infiltrate uh, with phishing, with phishing materials and stuff like that, try to get information primarily because they perceive that we're behind the times. Uh, businesses are more secure because they have phishing or they have a CISO, they have a chief of information security that is dedicated to protecting the information of that organization. Uh, and I think security is very important for us for the primary reason of the information that we have. Uh, we have, we are trusted with information of the most vulnerable, uh, citizens in our, in our country, which are students. Uh, if a student's personal information is compromised before they become 18, then somebody can do some damage with them with that information before the cat, before the kid even realizes there's been a problem. So I think that we just as a general suggestion for best practices, just really think about and invest in the security practices that you do with all your personal, personal identifiable information and just make sure that it is uh, as concrete as it can be. That's a excellent answer. And this has been enlightening. Folks, continue the conversation by joining the Tabby Slack community. As you know, there's no sponsors. No as holy allowed at tabbyx.com forward slash Slack. Uh, Marcus is in our Slack community and on Twitter. I'm Mr. J. Nolan, spelled Mr. J-N-O-W-L-I-N. Marcus is M-A-R-Q-U-E-S-S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Correct? That's correct. Marcus, thank you very much. This has been great. And uh, we hope to have you again on soon. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for the time. See you next week, folks.